Jersey original. But I mean, I remember being on like four or five, wow. seven, watching it from home in Shrewsbury. Wow. And my parents explaining who Susan was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Who was he? Hey everybody, welcome to Studio BZ. I'm Paula Evan. I'm John Keller. Hi, Paula. Hi, John. Are you ready for commencement season? Who isn't? I love this month every year. I look forward to it. And Boston loves nothing more than its schools, the colleges and universities. And I have a particular passion for these commencement speeches all over the country. Every year, there are always one or two that are really special and really great. And uh, so we're going to talk about it. And it's also else. like going to a NASCAR race. There's always <laughs> the possibility of a horrendous flame out. True. Very, very true. And then you have a really interesting topic. Yeah, a lot of people have been buzzing about Kanye West mm -hmm. and his, uh, shall we say, somewhat unhinged Twitter rants of late. He's yeah. tweeting out pictures of himself posing with Donald Trump and displaying his, his Donald Trump hat. He's going on talk shows and saying he thinks maybe slavery was, quote, a choice. What is up with Kanye? We're going to dig a little deeper than some of the analysis you might have already heard as we talk with the writer for The New Republic who argues that Kanye is, in his words, bastardizing a very old and honorable stream of thought in American life. And we'll get into that in more depth a little bit later right, on. You have that. And then last week, I had the pleasure of getting the chance to sit down to interview uh, CBS News living legend Bob Schieffer. He was at the Kennedy Presidential Library for an event where he spoke and was interviewed on stage. And so I interviewed him beforehand. He gives his uh, take on what's going on these days, what he would think if he were a White House correspondent. But I also asked him the famous story uh, that connects him with the JFK assassination, which is fascinating, and you've got to hear him wow. tell it. WBZ-TV, New England's original TV station. Remember, New England will be watching, 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 watching. Delivering a commencement address is a great responsibility. But you're not special, because everyone is. I hope you will judge yourself, not on your professional accomplishments alone, but also on how well you have addressed the world's deepest inequities. Don't forget to follow your dreams unless your dreams are stupid. And don't be frightened, you can always change your mind. I know. I've had four careers and three husbands. Here's the thing about a college or university commencement speech. I've been to so many of them. You know I have 10 older siblings. Oh my God, okay? Paula. When you are the 11th child, uh, there is no fresher hell than being carted to a hot stadium somewhere to sit in the blazing sun and listen to a college commencement and sit through three hours of oh pomp and circumstance. God. But I have to say, in my uh, years of experience, um, the it's, it is astounding how many bad commencement speeches are given every year. I mean, when you think about the ones we hear about, there are only one or two that people will say, wow, this was really special. You know, Steve Jobs at Stanford comes to mind and, and some of the others. Uh, last year, Will Ferrell was great at USC, his alma mater. But when people get up there and drone on and have nothing to say to these young people heading out into the world, what are they thinking? And haven't, give, and haven't given a minute of thought to the specific 
college or university no, they're speaking no. to. No, it's generic or worse. They have some canned old speech that they, I don't know, they wrote for the Speakers Bureau or something, and they go around the country and they just keep giving it. Or every once in a while, somebody steals someone else's well, commencement speech. Yeah. That's always a lot of fun. We know that happens. I, I was telling you, I have no memory of the specifics, but when I was a little, little girl... Uh, being taken at some point in the mid-70s to Holy Cross and the adults there rolling in the aisles. They were laughing so hard at Art Buchwald, the columnist. Oh, yeah, the the late columnist, yeah. And he was so funny, and that was memorable. Well, the flip side of that was at my younger son's uh, commencement from Wesleyan, the speaker was Anna Quinlan, the New York Times columnist and best-selling author. I cannot remember a single word she said, but I do remember that she droned on and on with all this self-referential nonsense. Oh, boy. A few vague homilies about, you know, stuff that makes you cringe. Like, you know, there's not an exact quote, but you will realize as life goes on that the best, your best days are behind you. Oh, jeez. There's something that makes you say, please, <laughs> get this woman off the stage and get me to a cold End beer immediately. Now. Take away my belt and shoelaces. Awful. Um, at my own Boston College graduation, uh, our speaker was supposed to be the very dynamic Sister Thea Bowman, uh, who was, you know, really have, uh, highly anticipated, and she was sick. And so Boston College was giving an honorary degree to Jonathan Kozal, the Harvard professor that year. And he is an esteemed intellect. He's written extensively on homelessness in America. And so that was what he spoke on. So I felt bad. He, he came through at the 11th hour, but it was not the most uplifting subject for a graduation Well, believe it or not, I actually was honored to be the speaker at the Salem State Mm -hmm. commencement back when it was Salem Salem State State College College, before it became a university. It's about 10 or so years ago. Don't know why on earth these people... As I said, when I came out, I said, look, you know, you're wondering why is he here? And the fact is, and I have to be honest about this, I'm only here because, uh, at the time, a very popular reality show figure, Paris Hilton, wasn't available. <laughs> and that is arguably the first time that's ever happened, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes, we do. But, uh, you know, oh. I looked at who I was speaking to. They he- at the time, the heavy focus on uh, people going into uh, public service occupations, uh, EMTs, mm-hmm. uh, nurses, uh, police officers, that kind of people thing. People who actually help people. So I decided to talk about helping people and about love, and I kept it short. Yes. And well, that seemed to be much appreciated. I was honored to be asked to speak at my son high school graduation and all boys school and it was a real honor but as I got up onto the stage and I had the same feeling when I spoke at my own high school which was an all girls school but here I am getting up in front of these 18 year old boys and I thought to myself you know when they see me walk up there they're thinking oh no here's mom it's a mom (laughs) (laughs) so again as you said I, I used my father's three B's of public speaking be brilliant be brief be seated you know, you got to keep it short and sweet and to the point, and uh, hopefully I love them with something to think about what it was and do boring. Well, let's take a quick spin around yeah. the local uh, colleges and universities here, courtesy of the Boston Globe, which helpfully compiled a list of, if not all, many of the local yeah. speakers. And, you know, 
a couple of things jump out at me. First of all, number of African American yes. uh, uh, dignitaries mm-hmm. or speaker. John Lewis will be the right. commencement speaker, the congressman and civil rights icon yes. yeah. uh, at Harvard. That's a good get. Mm-hmm. He's a compelling speaker. And uh, at BC on May 21st, it's Arch- Archbishop Wilton Gregory, mm-hmm. the first African American prelate in America. Right. Right. And uh, as you mentioned, Deval Patrick will be speaking at Bentley University. Yeah, he's always a compelling speaker. Um, so, yeah, it is great to see a lot more diversity, a lot more women yeah. speaking to schools these days. Cheryl Sandberg, CEO, uh, now COO wait, of I want Facebook to talk about that at one. MIT. I wonder how far in advance that was picked. Well, you know, it's at least... Six to nine because, months. Well, it would seem to me the only reason to invite Sheryl Sandberg or any Facebook executive <laughs> to an event right now would be so that they could be berated <laughs> and chewed out by everyone in attendance. Perhaps serially, all the graduates could stop and berate Sheryl Sandberg for the, the hash she and uh, Zuckerberg have made of our civil liberties. You know she's going to be ready for that. Oh, I doubt it. Oh, she spoke at the Harvard Business School a few years ago. And, uh, you know, media was kept. When uh, Lean In came out. No, no impromptu questions or encounter with her. The whole thing was like, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in lockdown. Let's put it that Uh, way. Jake Tapper is speaking at UMass Amherst, and he just better not talk about being an Eagles fan. Well, well I would imagine UMass. as a native Philadelphian, he's also a 76er fan. That's right. So maybe he could arrange for confetti to rain down on him prematurely <laughs> during the speech. Um, and what else do you think, John? Well, Jeffrey uh, Canada Jeffrey. is an interesting choice. He's at UMass Boston on May 25th. This is the uh, the guy who's created uh, special schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, I guess, I don't know if they're formally charter schools, but they're private, privately funded schools where they take on the poorest of the poor, the most beleaguered, behind the eight ball students you could imagine, and with a fantastic success rate. And so he's been an outspoken activist for education reform. Uh, what a great setting for him to speak there at UMass Boston, where they've been going through a tough time lately. And out at Clark University, this is a good one. Hawa Ibrahim, I'm I'm probably butchering her name, but this woman uh, is celebrated for her work defending women in northern African Islamic states who have been persecuted under Sharia law. And she's written books about fighting back against the excesses of which there are many of Sharia law. That's a real good one. I I might actually take a ride out there and listen to that one. Clark University is one of those sleeper schools with such impressive alumni. Great school. And I noticed another thing here, Paula. Mm -hmm. A couple of poets have been uh, nabbed. Tracy, Tracy Smith, Smith the U.S. Wellesley. Poet Laureate mm-hmm. Wellesley, and yeah. Billy Collins, yeah. the former U.S. Poet, mm-hmm. poet Laureate, speaking at Emerson. Yeah. Now, I don't know that I've ever heard a poet give a commencement speech. Yeah. What would be your expectation for that? Good, bad, or toss-up? Did Maya up? Angelou uh, give uh, commencement speeches? Okay. She must have. Yeah. I would think she would be an incredible speaker. Well, she's well, sort you know, of sui generis, Poets are true. Any chance of opening with a joke, though? <laughs> I, I don't think you're... <laughs> they good. might not be having the roll in the aisles. They're going to be exactly. saying, go, go, you fighting sand That's crabs, right. or whatever <laughs> the, uh, the school uh, team is. But, uh, yeah, I like when they make a little news. I like when they have something to say. Even we were mentioning earlier, Will Farrell at USC last year talked about his experience at the university. I would barge in on his lecture class from time to time as the guy from physical plant. 
coming by to check on things, and the professor would joyfully play along. I think if I could give all these speakers any, not that I'm any expert, but an admonition, it would be don't preach, don't pontificate, just try to inspire and follow your your dad's three Bs. (laughs) What are those again? Be brilliant, be brief, be seated. Over the past couple of weeks, rapper Kanye West has been generating controversy with a string of public statements in which he praises President Trump and suggests slavery was, quote, a choice. Well, this has predictably provoked a social media uproar, with more than a few people noting that Kanye has a new record coming out soon and may be operating under the old-fashioned theory that there's no such thing as bad publicity. But in an article in The New Republic, staff writer Jeet Heer takes note of another aspect of Kanye's controversies, his use of the term free thinker to both describe and defend him, defend himself. Jeet here joins us now to explain why that's important. Jeet, welcome to Studio BZ. Uh, good to be here. So let's set up a little context here. The term free thinker, although he probably thinks he created it, was not coined by Kanye West. What are the historical roots of free thinker and its uh, another term uh, often interchangeably used with it, free thought? Sure. Um, well, historically, free thinker um, emerged like at the end of the sort of 1600s and was associated with people who were skeptical of established religion. Uh, from a variety of point, points of view. I mean, some of them are what we would call atheists or agnostics. Uh, some of them were deists. They believed there was a God, but not that there's a specific revelation. Uh, and others were like, you know, they, they doubted specific aspects of um, uh, Western Christian orthodoxy, like the uh, Trinity. But what, what united them was that there was a skepticism towards what they called priestcraft. Uh, the idea that there's a sort of uh, inner circle that, you know, has revealed wisdom. And they thought that, uh, no, um, um, truth comes from discussion. Uh, there's no special caste that has knowledge and there should be free discussion. So free th- uh, and um, historically in uh, the context of the United States, it's very important because many of the founding fathers um, were free thinkers, people like uh, Thomas Jefferson and uh, Madison and uh, Benjamin Franklin. They, they, they really came out of this tradition and the American idea of separation of church and state was born of this tradition. So when it came time to uh, enshrine in the founding documents the notion of a separation of church and state, this sort of a break with the old world way, uh, these free thinkers were right at the, at the heart of that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the actually the really radical things about the um, the United States that uh, uh, prior to that, um, uh, you know, it was pretty much the norm in Western civilization to have established churches, and you could have tolerance within that. You could have, you know, an Anglican church in uh, England, uh, Church of England, and then you know have other s- sects. But the United States was really, you know, premised on the idea that no, there will be no established church, and free thinking um, was responsible for that. And uh, but but not just that. I mean, like after that victory was won, there continued to be these traditions of free thought 
and they were very much at the forefront of things like abolitionism, uh, early feminism, uh, promotion of birth control. So it was a real like kind of social movement uh, that um, uh, really flourished and uh, throughout the 19th century, um, and and really had like a wide sort of. It was never like you know um, the uh, majority of people, but it had like very prominent people like you know uh, Susan B. Anthony, Ralph. Um, uh, Waldo Emerson, mm-hmm. W. E. B. Du Bois. So, 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 it, like a lot of prominent thinkers were part of this movement. Well, fast forward to 2018, and you argue in your New Republic article that Kanye West is bastardizing the term free thinking by appropriating it. How so? Well, as far as I mean, what. Kanye West seems to mean by free thought is like, well, I'm just speculating. And it's a kind of movie you often see among trolls on the internet, right? Like they'll put out something like, well, you know, maybe the Holocaust didn't happen. And people say, what? And they'll say, I'm just asking a question, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a rhetorical move to say like, well, we're just speculating here. We're just putting something forward. And in Kanye West's case, very much tied to a notion that he often puts forward, that he's a genius, right? That he is, you know, uh, unencumbered by the sort of uh, procedures of other people. And so he uh, doesn't, He what, what springs from his mind is inherently interesting and insightful. Uh, and there's another aspect to this, which um, uh, isn't in my article, but Ta-Nisi Coates in The Atlantic brings it up in an article this morning, uh, which is that when he means free thinker, he also means free of blackness. That Kanye West really wants to see himself as unencumbered by the sort of you know African American community that he's like uh, a dissident, and it's a really like an assertion uh, that because he you know to his credit, I mean he's won a place for himself through uh, of great wealth and great influence that he doesn't have to be encumbered by the same rules that bound other people. A lot like O.J. Simpson, who famously said, "I'm not black, I'm O.J." That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. O.J. Simpson and uh, the um, Tani C. Coates also brings up the example of Michael Jackson. Um, and so it's uh, that's exactly it's an assertion of genius. It's an assertion of like, you know, I'm an individual, which is, you know, like there's something to be said for that. But then you also always have to acknowledge, you know, where you come from. And more importantly, you know, you have to acknowledge that like there's traditions of knowledge. Like those he's making statements about slavery that are clearly not true and that, you know, people have, you know, worked long and hard to like uh, get at the facts and history of slavery, which have often been denied, right, by uh, uh, slave owners and later. And so so when he says slavery is a choice or he makes up a, a uh, he promotes a fake quote from Harriet Tubman uh, that if they knew they were slaves, more of them could have been free, then he's not like he's really... Uh, uh, not just like engaging in like a speculation, he's engaging in falsehood, right? He's, uh, and he, he, you know, you can be a genius and a great musician, but you're still bound by the same code of honesty and truth that everyone else is. So let me see if I have this straight. Back when he was starting out, Kanye West uh, invoked uh, all sorts of themes uh, from within the black experience to help build an audience and make his name. Now that he's uh, a fully mature money-making machine looking to up the revenue flow, uh, he's going the other way. That's right. Yeah, I, I think there is some aspect of that. And I mean, one could put a like a more positive spin. I think it's often the case that artists want to be seen as individuals. Uh, but I mean, the way he's going about it is like very uh, bad and destructive because uh, he's making sort of like false. That's not just 
statements that are false, but statements that will, can be kind of used against the black community. You know, people can say, well, Kanye said slavery was a choice, you know, so get over it. Yeah. Like, uh, so I, I think that is this sort of quest for freedom uh, is unfortunately taking like a quest away from history, from community and from the sort of traditions of truth, really, that, that come out of being a part of a community. Well, now, Jeet, you used the term uh, uh, trolling earlier, and I think we're all familiar with uh, the the troll as an instigator trying to stir up the pot, part of this uh, wretched hot take culture that we seem to be descending into where there are entire cable sports networks uh, just strictly devoted to hot takes and, and a lot of journalists also functioning in that realm. But you go beyond that in your article. You're, you're saying uh, what Kanye is doing is profiling a certain kind of uh, a very specific type of right-wing trolling. What do you mean by that? Sure. Um, I mean, it's not just like he's, he, I mean, he claims to be coming up with three thoughts, but uh, it's very clear that uh, he's been listening to a pr- particular set of people, Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro, and what, these are people who kind of like specialize in a kind of manufactured like history. The goal seems to be to like wed the black people away the black americans away from the democratic party and that's okay like if you know it's just a simple partisanship thing but it's done in like by promoting narratives of history that are just false Hmm. well um is he getting any traction with this uh and i suppose that depends on what kind of traction he wants i mean that you wrote about it in the new republic now we're having you on to talk about it are we just giving him what he wants yeah, well, that's a problem with trolling, and nobody has solved this problem. Like, how do you deal with trolls? Because they win either way, right? Like, if he puts forward a false statement and it gets unrefuted, then it's out there and uh, it's unchallenged. If you respond to it, you're giving them attention. Uh, in that sense, like, uh, I mean, it makes sense that he admires Donald Trump. Donald Trump trolled his way into the presidency, and now Kanye wants to troll his way. Uh, he already has a great deal of success, but troll his way towards even more success. And unfortunately, it's you, uh, the rest of us are trapped in the situation where there's really no good solution. You can uh, either ignoring a troll or responding to a troll is equally problematic. Yet another of the Internet's great gifts to our culture and political dialogue, wouldn't you say? <laughs> it's definitely something uh, that uh, the Internet has amplified in, in many ugly ways. Yes. So just to wrap it up here, what what does the future hold for Kanye? I mean, you uh, you don't get into speculating about how well this is going to work for him. He has certainly gotten a lot of clicks and, as we just mentioned, a lot of media attention that he might not otherwise have gotten. Uh it, did he do this with a with a high degree of risk, or is uh, this kind of appropriation of the free thinker term uh, a free pass these days? I think he's probably going to get a free pass just because celebrity uh, celebrities are often forgiven things. They're like other celebrities that have done far worse things. I mean, somebody brought up the interesting example of David Bowie and Eric Clapton, who in the, both in the 1970s, you know, flirted with fascism. I mean, David Bowie praised Hitler and Eric Clapton called for like kicking out all, you know, people of color out of England. <laughs> like so. And then like it was simply forgotten uh, because people enjoyed the music and they stopped talking like that. David Bowie, like, you know, really like even went much farther than Kanye, like in the 1970s. Where he had this period where, you know, like he was giving the the Nazi salute and he was saying like Hitler was the first rock star. 
and, uh, and it caused a frenzy of controversy. There was a real pushback. There was an organized, you know, rock against racism concert. And then Bowie sort of gave it up. So I feel like that, that might be the best example. And then, and Bowie, as well as Kanye, is a kind of musical genius, right? And so there's a kind of forgiveness of that. So I think that's probably the scenario most likely, that Kanye will move on to other shiny objects and people will forget this unfortunate incident. So he'll get a free pass. Go online to newrepublic.com and read Jeet Heer's article, Kanye West's Bastardization of Freethinkers. Jeet, thank you very much for joining us here on Studio BZ. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Our city is truly the hub. The hub of the universe. Now I have a little surprise for you. All right. I'm going to play this for you. I'm not going to play you the whole thing. Okay. Okay. I'm going to play you. This is what Kanye is up to right now. Poopy dee scoop. Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop dee poop. Poop dee scoop dee scoop dee whoop. Whoopie dee scoop whoop poop. Poop dee dee whoop scoop. Poop. Poop. Scoop dee dee. Wow. Hmm. The man's a genius. Profound. Clearly. Clearly. You know, this reminds me of periodically someone will scam on the stuffed shirts in the art world mm. by training their pet beagle. Right, to paint something. To paint, right. yeah. They'll right. put, put a row of paint cans and the beagle knocks them over. They frame it and, and people go wild because it's, mm-hmm. it's sheer genius. Um, that lyric right there reminds me of... Um, wasn't it the police who, once they had had a hit, recorded do 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 da 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 is all I want to say to you? I mean, it's, it sort of felt as though it was something. Well, that was like poetry compared in. to this. Uh, you know, now that now that we're famous, we can kind of mail this one in. I, you know, I don't know what he's trying to say there, unless he's just trying to be. Is funny. he making fun of himself? From what probably. I know of him, that seems unlikely. Yeah, that's that's probably. Unlikely. Is he making fun of his audience? That. They're Might waiting for something more... profound. And so here's this. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's comparable to what that beagle did. Yes. Maybe a little yeah. less yeah. refined and thought out. Well, I've got to offer a counterpoint. What's your thought? I, I love Kanye. Do you think I it's think just he's, funny? I think he's just he's being funny? Joking. Yeah. It's, it's very yeah. clear that he, he, like, set this up, hyped it up, right. said, here comes some new music tonight, yeah. everyone. And he drops this, yes. which is... Hilarious. I mean, yeah. in that context, it is absolutely. Yeah. You find that funny? I do. I laughed. I laughed so hard when I heard this song first. Um, I mean, I didn't want to listen to it after what he's been out there saying. But mm-hmm. like, when I did listen to it, I realized that mm-hmm. he's joking. And yeah. since I do know a lot of his other music, um, I know that he does things like this occasionally. Mm-hmm. Well, Jonathan, uh, I, I guess this is the generation cut, gap writ yeah, large here because I would yeah, recommend to love, you to, to uh, next time you have a few minutes, sit down and listen to the album What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Oh, I love that album. Uh, and he, another troubled uh, but incredibly talented artist. Uh, any given song from the What's Going On album is about a thousand times better than Kanye West going poop-dee-poop-dee-poo. So Ezra Pound was one of the great American poets of the 20th century. Uh, not only a very innovative poet, but also inspired a lot of people, like T.S. Eliot 
and uh, uh, Ernest Hemingway and uh, James Joyce. Uh, but he went through this period in the 1930s, was very attracted to fascism, lived in Italy, praised Mussolini, uh, when he uh, and continued to live there during the war and broadcast on the radio, praising Mussolini and also making anti-Semitic comments and putting anti-Semitic fascist ideas in his poetry. In 1943, he was captured by the American military, brought back to Washington. There was a um, question of whether he should be tried for treason. He's found mentally unstable and lived in a mental institution in Washington. But during this period, he also like won a major American poetry prize, the Bollingen Prize, which was awarded by you know T.S. Eliot, W.H. Auden, Alan Tate, like very high poets of the period. And, there's, and so there's an argument like, well, can we separate the art from the politics? And and the people who gave the prize said, like, you know, he's still a great poet, no matter what the contents of the poetry is. With Kanye as well, like, I don't buy into this, but there are people who say, well, he should get a pass because he has mental health issues. And that was a, used as a defensive pound as well. Whoop-dee-scoop. Scoop-dee-dee-whoop. Whoop-dee-scoop-dee-poop. So, John, I was lucky enough to be invited to this um, event at the uh, John F. Kennedy Presidential Library. Bob Schieffer was there to be interviewed on stage by a Harvard professor. And so I got to sit down and do a one-on-one interview with him right before that. And uh, it, it was just a few days after what was the debacle of the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and some people might forget, Bob Schieffer, long before he was host to Face the Nation, was the White House Correspondent during the Ford administration. What was your reaction to this year's White House Correspondents' Dinner? I thought it was just awful. I, uh, I think it is time for CBS, I'm speaking just for myself, not for CBS, I think it's time for us to disassociate ourselves mm-hmm. from this dinner. Uh, you know, every year we find ourselves making excuses for what somebody said at the, at the correspondence dinner. That doesn't represent what journalism is all about. Do you think it's getting too personal at times inside that White House briefing room and then with reporters on their Twitter feeds, for instance, and some of the things they'll say about the president? It's just different. We've never had something like this. You know, I, I covered Washington for a long, long time, and people will, have always said to me, you know, you covered the four big beats, but I bet the White House was the most fun, right? And I said, well, it was fun, but I said, you know, at the White House, everybody works for the same guy. You get up on Capitol Hill, they're all independent contractors. That's where you get the news, but that's no longer correct because there are as many factions inside this White House right now as there are up on Capitol Hill. They don't like each other, they all have their own agendas, and they're all cutting on each other 24 hours a day. So it's a totally different kind of White House than we've, we've ever had before. I mean, the president talks about the fake news. The White House is, is quite clearly just simply an unreliable source. And, you know, you, just because somebody in the White House tells you something doesn't mean that's what the policy is at the moment. And they might be walking it back a couple of days later. And they might not know what the policy is at the moment. But you've got all these competing factions there. And uh, that's why, I mean, I think a, a big part of Donald Trump's problem is not always about policy, it's about process. Mm. They have no one there that simply understands the process of how Washington works, and they have nobody there to to help them. There's been a big debate on the CNN Chiron 
they will point out, the president said this today, that's actually not true. They will point out inaccuracies. As you said before, it's the job of the press to assess what's going on and, and separate fact from fiction. Do you like that kind of journalism? Um, not particularly, but I, I, I don't really want to criticize them. You know, we're all dealing with this just enormous uh, amount of news now. It just never stops. And now that we're in the digital age, as we're shifting from print uh, to digital, uh, there's just so much news now to process. And, and there are going to be mistakes. It's just more than a human being can do is to get all this uh, cataloged and categorized and, and dealt with uh, as it should. And the news cycle is so fast. It's almost as if the seams are showing now. When you covered Capitol Hill, when you covered the yeah. White House, you knew what went on behind the scenes that the American public never heard or never saw. Do you think we're just seeing all of it now? Well, we're now. I mean, in those days, we're meeting two deadlines, one for the morning show and one for the, the evening show. The cables, by the time I was up on Capitol Hill, they were, they were on 24-7, but not in the same way that we're covering the news now. I mean, because it's, the news happens so quickly and it's transmitted so quickly. You know, Mark Twain said one time that, uh, <clears throat> that a lie will travel around the world and back while the truth is putting its pants on. And never has that been truer than it is right now. And uh, what's different now is that once this stuff gets out there, it's virtually impossible to take it down. I mean, an example, Barack Obama is not a citizen. He wasn't born in the United States. How much fact-checking do we have to do to finally knock that down? There are still a percentage of people in the United States who still believe that, mm -hmm. who believe we didn't go to the moon, who, you know, who believe that uh, these awful shootings are being staged by the government as a propaganda uh, against gun control. I mean, you get it out there and you, you can't correct it mm -hmm. once it's there. That's what makes it so different now. Yeah. With uh, the Twitter feeds going so quickly, reporters have to spend a lot of time doing that in addition to writing, in addition to their jobs. Uh, what grade would you give uh, the White House press corps and the people covering this administration? I think they're doing the best they can mm -hmm. under, very, under very difficult circumstances. But, you know, <laughs> I ran across something the other day. Uh, Martin Van Buren once said, now I'm going to tell you, I don't <laughs> quote Martin Van Buren all that often, but Martin Van Buren <laughs> said once uh, when he was president, uh, government uh, is, uh, governing does not depend on the exciting moment, but rather on sober second thought. Just being first is not nearly as important as being correct, and I think that's something we all need to keep reminding ourselves of. We need to slow ourselves down. The New York Times last night got the leaked list of Robert Mueller's potential questions for the president. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think we could end up in a situation where the president is accused of obstruction of justice and he completely denies it and refuses to cooperate? I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, to me, the most intriguing part of that is who leaked that? I mean, I, I think I'd be pretty certain in saying I don't think that came from the, from the special prosecutor. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have put out, here's what I'm trying to find out for right. this guy. But it had uh, been provided but, And to. the Times said it came from a person outside the president's legal team. Hmm. These questions were apparently written by 
the president's lawyers after these conversations. Right. They compiled this list. But to, to whose advantage was it for that to be made public? I mean, you, you know, usually it's not too difficult to figure out who leaked something. The person who leaked it is the one who stands to gain from the leak, basically. Mm -hmm. who, who gains from that? I, I, I cannot figure it out. And I've thought about it all day today after hearing about it. Uh, I, I can't figure out. Somebody obviously leaked it, but why and who was it? It's going to be the big question, right, <laughs> yeah. in the next six months. Um, I do have to ask, uh, since we're sitting here in the Kennedy Library, and I always think about your your legacy, working, yeah. writing for the Texas Star-Ledger and that. Yeah. Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Yeah, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, I'm sorry. Um, you have such a fascinating story about what happened to you yeah. uh, the day that you were in the newsroom and the phone started ringing. You know, it was total bedlam, as you might expect. Dallas is 30 miles from Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. It takes about an hour to get over there. They're two entirely different cities. Uh, and I was just on the city desk trying to help answer the phones. And, and uh, this woman called in and, and uh, said, is there anybody there who can give me a, a ride to Dallas? And I said, lady, you know, we don't <laughs> run a taxi and besides the president's been shot. And I was hanging up the phone and I heard this voice say, yes, I heard on the radio, uh, I think my son is the one they've arrested. Mm -hmm. And it was Lee Harvey Oswald's mother. And so, of course, I forgot that part about we don't run a taxi. I wrote down her address and another reporter and I drove out there, picked her up. She was standing on the sidewalk waiting for us and uh, we drove her uh, to Dallas. And I stayed with her the whole day and that was, that was my first big national story. Sure. And she was, she was really the villain in the piece. I mean, on the way over there, she never expressed any sympathy, never asked any questions about the president or his family. Sure. She just kept saying over and over, uh, They'll give Lee's wife money because they'll feel sorry for her and I'll starve to death. They'll turn their backs on me like they always have. And it was, it was so bizarre. And some of the things she said were so harsh that I didn't even put them in the story. I mean, I had a good story. I have to ask because the president had talked about this in the run-up to the election that he wanted to uh, release all kinds of information that had never been released before. And just last week, the Trump administration announced that they are going to keep classified yeah. uh, still documents related to the Kennedy assassination. As a reporter of that era, uh, what do you think that you hear that? Because I think people thought when they were held for 50 years, obviously yeah. that was to allow anyone alive uh, would be dead. At this point, uh, there must be information so vital to that investigation, they don't want anyone who could possibly be affected to still Or so embarrassing. Or embarrassed to yeah. a child or a grandchild, right? Yeah, I, I mean, and who knows? And I would never try to, you know, analyze or or try to guess why sure. the president decides to do what he does. But uh, there must be something that has to do with sourcing or something of that mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. It may not be anything, but right. I would sure like to know what's left that we don't know about. What do you see after what we went through in 2016, looking at the next race for the White House, can you possibly imagine? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I think what we need to be focusing on right now is this midterm election this year. Mm -hmm. This, you know, we always say that every election is the most important one in history. This midterm election may well be one of the most uh, important, mm -hmm. uh, certainly a midterm election. I, I'm, I'm not predicting that the Democrats are going to take the House, but I now think that that is possible. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and I didn't think that six months ago, but there's so many things that are just pumping energy into this, into our political process now, starting with those kids down there in Florida. Right. I think those kids may well be the freedom riders of our time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're going to have, I don't know if they'll pull it off or not, but I think they're having more impact on this debate over guns uh, than anybody has been able to generate up until now. You add to that the Me Too movement and women, uh, the Black Lives Matter, uh, there are just these various forces. It seemed to me a lot like 1968 when the country almost came apart. So I don't know how that comes out, but I think it's going to, uh, it's going to be, be very, very significant. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I know you probably have to get ready. For that was good. Well, it's nice to get a compliment from Bob Schieffer on an interview. Um, but wasn't it fascinating, I just think his perspective from uh, being in Texas on the day of the Kennedy assassination, covering Vietnam, covering the White House, Capitol Hill, and then his role as a political host and commentator. Uh, he's kind of seen it all. And I thought what he had to say about the Parkland students being like the freedom riders of today was an interesting insight. You know, seen it all, done it all. Yeah. And in his role as a sort of a senior analyst uh, during the conventions mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago and so forth, it's it's telling, interesting to me, how he brings the perspective, the historical context, and also the candor mm -hmm. about what he thinks about what he's seeing oh, yeah. that uh, I really like. I mean, he's always been sort of a role model for me, and uh, I really appreciate the fact that he's still uh, on top of his game and, yeah. and still getting it done. Yeah, he's still very engaged. And you know what I've always loved about Bob Schieffer? He is never lost his affinity and pride about coming from Texas. You know, he didn't go to New York City and Washington, D.C. and become one of these sort of media elites who tried to pretend that, uh, I don't know, they respond in some hothouse somewhere where you grow anchormen. He was always very proud of being from Texas, being from the heartland and um, real people, real Americans. And I just think that has always come through. So this uh, is now, um, how many is this for us? Five or six BZ, Studio BZ podcasts. I believe it's eight. And Oh, it's eight already. So you can get the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Radio Public, Google Play. We want to hear from you, tell your friends about it, and send us your comments or your thoughts or reactions, any questions. I am at Paula Eben WBZ and Eben at CBS.com. And my email is Keller at WBZTV.com. Uh, Twitter handle at Keller at Large. And most importantly, if you like what you're hearing or you just find it interesting in the slightest, please tell a friend. And until next week, uh, when we'll have another edition of Studio BZ, I'm John Keller saying... I'm Paula Evan adding... We'll, we'll be seeing you. you. They'll never get tired of that, will they, Paula? Don't you love it, Jonathan? Uh, I'm not sure yet. He's I, not sold. I, we need right, a new tagline. Send us a tagline. Here's a new tagline. Poopy poopy poop. How's that sound? <laughs> Love it. Uh, we are on episode nine. Actually. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'll, uh, I'll edit that in.